Since the 1940s and the end of World War II, the global economy has been dominated by the US dollar, and this has given the United States a lot of power that it has used to impose its political will on countries around the world. But things are changing very quickly, and we see many countries more and more trying to find new alternatives in terms of financial systems, payment mechanisms, trade arrangements. I discussed part of this in March when Chinese President Xi Jinping traveled to Moscow and met with Russian President Vladimir Putin. And in that meeting, China and Russia discussed plans to challenge the hegemony of the US dollar. And Chinese President Xi promised changes not seen in 100 years. One of the most important topics discussed in this meeting between Xi and Putin on March 21st was de-dollarization, the campaign to replace their trade with US dollars. And you can see this very clearly in the notes that were published by the Russian government. Putin said, quote, it is important that our national currencies are increasingly used in bilateral trade, that is trade between China and Russia. Putin said we should continue promoting settlements in national currencies and expand the reciprocal presence of financial and banking structures in our country's markets. He noted that two thirds of the trade between China and Russia is already done using their own currencies, the Russian ruble and the Chinese renminbi. The official name of the Chinese currency is the renminbi and the unit of accounts is the yuan. And Putin said that Russia also supports using Chinese yuan in transactions between Russia and its partners in Asia, Africa, and Latin America. So this was a public call by the Russian leader to de-dollarize trade between Russia and countries in the global south. In March and April 2023, just in the span of a few weeks, we have seen a rapid acceleration in the global drive to de-dollarize. China's newspaper, The People's Daily, announced on March 28th that China completed its first ever yuan settlement of liquefied natural gas trade. And that was done through China's Shanghai Petroleum and Natural Gas Exchange, buying liquefied natural gas LNG that was imported from the United Arab Emirates, the UAE. This was a historic development because for decades, the vast majority of oil and gas, basically all of it, sold by the countries in the Persian Gulf, so Saudi Arabia, the UAE, Qatar, these are some of the world's largest oil and gas producers. For decades, basically all of their transactions were done in dollars. But now we're seeing that they're selling their oil and gas to China in China's currency, the renminbi. France's media outlet RFI acknowledged that this historic transaction in which China is officially buying energy from the Persian Gulf in Yuan challenges the petrodollar system. This refers to the fact that the US dollar is used, at least it has been for decades, to in the vast majority of the international trade of oil. And this means that it increases the demand for dollars around the world because countries that need to import oil, countries that don't produce oil, which is most countries, have to get dollars in order to pay for that oil. And this petrodollar system also strengthens the hegemony of the US dollar because central banks around the world, when they receive those dollars, they often end up investing those dollars in US treasury securities, which is US government debt, because that has 
interest on it. Whereas if you just hold dollars, they depreciate over time with inflation. So what that means is that central banks around the world buy U.S. government debt, which helps to finance U.S. government spending. So there's a circular flow of dollars where dollars are used to buy oil and those dollars are circulated back into the U.S. economy to finance U.S. government spending. So this petrodollar system is extremely important to understand the hegemony of the U.S. empire politically and economically. The French media outlet RFI noted that not only did China buy LNG from the UAE, but it did so through a French company called Total Energy. So what this means is we now see European companies, European traders doing business with China in other currencies that are, aren't the dollar and aren't the euro. This French media outlet described this transaction as, quote, a major step in Beijing's attempts to undermine the U.S. dollar as the universal petrodollar for gas and oil trade. It also notes that this transaction, the other side, the, the Chinese importer, was the China National Offshore Oil Company, which is a state-owned company. So this is being backed by the Chinese government. And it, the article quotes the chairman of the Shanghai Petroleum and Natural Gas Exchange. And this chairman described the transaction as part of a, a campaign to promote multi-currency pricing settlement and cross-border payment. So what we're talking about is a multipolar economic system. I'll come back to that point in a bit here. This article in the French media outlet RFI actually includes a tweet from me, which I didn't note, notice until I was looking for mainstream media articles about these developments. And my tweet was emphasizing how historic this transaction was. But the article also points out that in December, Chinese President Xi visited the Persian Gulf region. He visited Saudi Arabia, where he met with not only Saudi leaders, but also leaders of the Gulf Cooperation Council and representatives of the Arab League. And in that meeting, Xi announced that China is going to be buying energy from the Persian Gulf in its own currency. Xi's exact quote was, China will continue to import large quantities of crude oil from Gulf countries, expand imports of liquefied natural gas, strengthen cooperation in upstream oil and gas development, and fully use the Shanghai Petroleum and Natural Gas Exchange as a platform to carry out Yuan settlement of oil and gas trade. Now, just that transaction was historic and is worth its own episode just analyzing it, but it's one of many examples of global de-dollarization escalating. In another historic development, on March 30th, China announced that Beijing and Brazil signed a deal to ditch the dollar in their bilateral trade. Chinese media outlet CGTN described this saying, China and Brazil have reached a deal to trade in their own currencies, ditching the US dollar as an intermediary. The deal will enable China, the world's second largest economy. I would say actually that's in nominal GDP terms, but actually if you look at PPP, purchasing power parity terms, China is the largest economy. But anyway, the point is this deal will enable China and Brazil, which is the biggest economy in Latin America and around the sixth biggest, sixth or seventh biggest in the world. It will allow them to conduct their, conduct their massive trade and, and financial transactions directly, exchanging yuan for reais, which is the Brazilian currency, the real or reais, instead of going through the dollar. 
China is Brazil's biggest trading partner. And just in 2022, the countries did more than $150 billion worth of trade with each other. So this is a massive development that is going to fuel de-dollarization. I should also add, of course, that the Brazilian president, the leftist Lula da Silva, has announced that Latin America is working on developing its own currency to end the region's dependence on the US dollar. And it's likely going to be called the Sur. I have a separate report about that that I'll link to in the description below. Now, in the same week on March 28th, the New Development Bank, which is known as the BRICS Bank, announced that Brazil's former president, Dilma Rousseff, is the new president of the New Development Bank. She is now living in Shanghai, China, which is where the headquarters of the New Development Bank is located. Dilma Rousseff is a leftist from the Workers' Party. She is an ally of Lula da Silva, the new president of Brazil. And the fact that she is now the leader of the New Development Bank shows that the BRICS Bank is going to significantly try to expand its operations in the global south. The NDB, the New Development Bank, was created by the BRICS system, that is Brazil, Russia, India, China, South Africa, as an alternative to the U.S.-dominated World Bank. The U.S. is the only country with veto power, and the World Bank was created as part of the Bretton Woods system in 1944, which made the U.S. dollar the global reserve currency. So we're seeing a huge tectonic shift in the global economic architecture and the new leftist president of, of Brazil, Lula da Silva, is kickstarting this campaign. And he himself was a co-founder of the BRICS. So this is all happening so fast. So I talked about how China, Russia and Brazil are de-dollarizing and they're not alone. The countries in Southeast Asia are also moving forward to drop the U.S. dollar and this isn't published in a report on ASEAN, which is the Association of Southeast Asian Nations. And in Mar on March 28th, the same day that Dilma became, became president officially of the New Development Bank in China, there was a meeting of the finance ministers and central bank governors of the Southeast Asian nations in Indonesia. And top of their agenda was discussions to reduce dependence on the US dollar, euro, yen and british pound from financial transactions and move to settlements in local currencies this means that an asean cross-border digital payment system could be expanded further and allow asean states to use local currencies for trade an agreement for this this cooperation was made in november in 2022 between indonesia malaysia singapore the philippines and thailand all Southeast Asian nations. Furthermore, Indonesia is pushing forward on this. The Bank of Indonesia, the central bank of the country, is preparing to introduce its own domestic payment system. Now, this is huge because Indonesia is the world's fourth most populous country after the US. It's China, India, the US, and Indonesia. And Brazil is the sixth most populous country on earth. So the fourth and fifth most populous countries, each of which have more than 200 million people in their population, are trying to de-dollarize and use their local currencies. This is a huge blow to U.S. dollar hegemony and therefore to U.S. economic hegemony and U.S. imperialism. The president of Indonesia, Joko Widodo, who's often known as Jokowi, he has urged regional administrations in Indonesia to start using credit cards issued by local banks 
and gradually stop using foreign payment systems. And specifically, he cited the Western sanctions imposed on Russia as a reason. Out of all of the Southeast Asian nations, only Singapore has imposed sanctions on Russia. It's the only country in the region. All of the other ASEAN nations have continued to trade with Russia, and they're concerned about the threat of U.S. secondary sanctions. That is, not only sanctions on Russia, but sanctions on countries that trade with Russia or sanctions on countries that trade with China, which is also sanctioned by the U.S. So these countries are seeking new economic alternatives. This shows how, ironically, with the economic warfare waged by the West against Russia and China and Iran and Venezuela, it's actually accelerating the decline of Western economic hegemony and in the decline of Western imperialism that has dominated the world for decades and even centuries going back to the colonial era. But their constant economic war on independent countries is forcing countries around the global south to find new economic alternatives because they're afraid that they could be the next target. Now, speaking of Southeast Asia, this brings me to Malaysia. Malaysia and China are also discussing ways to de-dollarize their trade, and they're even talking about creating an Asian monetary fund to challenge the U.S.-dominated International Monetary Fund, the IMF, which was also created as part of the Bretton Woods Conference in 1944 that established the U.S. dollar as the global reserve currency. And like the World Bank, the U.S. is the only country that has veto power in the IMF. So this is an article in Bloomberg on April 4th, Malaysia, China to discuss Asian fund to cut U.S. dollar dependency. China is open to talks with Malaysia on forming an Asian monetary fund, said Malaysia's Prime Minister Anwar Ibrahim, reviving a decades-old proposal to reduce, reduce reliance on the dollar. Now, this, it's important that they know that this is decades old. And what that shows is that the recent escalation in the use of illegal unilateral sanctions by the U.S. and Europe has incentivized countries more and more to find new economic alternatives. They've wanted to have alternatives to U.S. dollar hegemony for decades, but in the past few years, and really in the past few months, that process has drastically accelerated, especially with the proxy war in Ukraine and with Western governments essentially stealing $300 billion of the Russian Central Bank's foreign exchange reserves. The U.S. and European countries have frozen those reserves and they're going to steal that money from Russia and allegedly they say they're going to use it to rebuild Ukraine. So that's a massive act of theft. It came after the U.S. stole billions of dollars from Iran's central bank. The U.S. and European countries stole billions of dollars from Venezuela's central bank. And the U.S. has stolen billions of dollars from Afghanistan's central bank. So countries around the world are scrambling to find alternatives now. And Malaysia's Prime Minister Anwar stressed the need to reduce reliance on the U.S. dollar and the International Monetary Fund. He said, quote, there is no reason for Malaysia to continue depending on the dollar. He's calling the Malaysian Central Bank is working on creating a system so China and Malaysia can do trade with each other in their local currencies, the ringgit and the renminbi. And this came after former officials in Singapore discussed what economies in Southeast Asia could do to mitigate the risks of a still strong dollar that's weakened local currencies and become a tool of economic statecraft 
When they say economic statecraft, they mean economic warfare. But the U.S. uses the dollar as a political weapon. And they know that the dollar's strength is a headache for Asian nations, including Malaysia, which is a net importer of food. Now, what they're referring to there is that as the U.S. Central Bank, the Federal Reserve, raises interest rates, it makes the U.S. dollar more valuable because it, it makes it more expensive to lend money in the U.S. dollar. There's less, there are fewer U.S. dollars in currency in circulation. So what that means is that many other countries, unless their central banks significantly raise their interest rates, their currencies are devaluing against the U.S. dollar. We're also seeing a lot of capital flight out of countries because now that the U.S. dollar is more valuable, a lot of people are storing their wealth, their dollars in the U.S. banking system. And especially with glowing, growing instability, volatility in the banking system. So what that means is that a lot of currencies in the global south are weakening against the U.S. dollar. So countries in the global south that import food and fertilizer and medicine and technology and oil and gas, they need to get dollars or other foreign currencies usually to import those commodities. And as the price of those commodities increases and as their own currencies devalue against the dollar, it makes it more and more expensive for them to import products. That's fueling inflation. And of course, if their central banks raise interest rates, it's going to make it more expensive to, to borrow money. And that means that it's going to cause basically a recession or it's going to do economic damage to their countries. So that means this is a significant factor also in countries around the world seeking alternatives to the U.S. dollar and trying to do trade in local currencies with the other country that they're doing bilateral trade with. Yet another example of this can be seen in trade between Russia and India, which is also increasingly involving other currencies, not dollars, but rather the Russian ruble and the Indian rupee. Reuters reported on April 3rd that Russia has shifted to the Dubai benchmark, benchmark in Indian oil deals. And Russia's largest oil producer, Rosneft, and India's top refiner, the Indian Oil Corporation, agreed to use the Asia-focused Dubai oil price benchmark in their latest deal to deliver Russian oil to India. Reuters notes that both of these companies are state-owned. So it's another example of Russian and Indian government involvement in these important economic decisions. And it notes that this is part of Russia's abandonment of the European market and its shift toward oil sales toward Asia. Now, specifically, Russia had been selling its oil using the Europe-dominated Brent benchmark, which is there are three main oil benchmarks in the world, which is the Brent, which is the Europe-focused, the Asia-focused Dubai, and also the Texas, West Texas-focused. And what this really means is that, look, if you're buying oil, not all forms of oil are the same. There's heavy crude, light crude, sweet crude, whatever. I mean, there's a variety, sour crude. So what that means is that when customers are buying oil or when exporters are selling oil, they frequently use a benchmark, which is the standard price that's used for those specific markets. So by shifting to the Dubai oil price benchmark, as opposed to the Europe-focused Brent benchmark, it represents Russia's overall economic shift toward Asia and away from the West. Reuters quoted the chief executive of Rosneft, which is the Russian state-owned oil company, and he noted that the price of Russian oil is going to be determined outside of Europe. Instead, 
with Asia because Asia has become the largest market for Russian oil. Now, I've talked about China, Russia, Latin America, and Brazil, Southeast Asia. Let's talk about Africa because we're also seeing more and more countries in Africa who are seeking alternatives to US dollar hegemony. And Kenya announced this March that it made an agreement to buy oil from the Persian Gulf region using its own currency, the Kenyan shilling. And this is because of a shortage of US dollars in Kenya's foreign exchange reserves. A Nigerian newspaper noted that the Kenyan government has signed an agreement with three international oil companies that will allow the African nation to purchase oil using Kenyan shillings. Kenya signed an agreement for the supply of oil for nine months based on credit using its own local currency with Saudi Aramco, the Saudi state-owned oil giant, with the Abu Dhabi National Oil Company of the UAE, and with the Emirates National Oil Company also of the UAE. This is part of an attempt to ease pressure on Kenya's foreign exchange reserves. It's running out of dollars because of it's paying for imports. And oil marketers will also start paying for goods with their own currency, the shilling, rather than dollars. And this brings me to the last article that I'm going to look at today, which is from the Financial Times, one of the leading financial newspapers. And this article was not written by just anyone. It was written by Gillian Tett, who is the chair of the editorial board and the editor of the U.S. branch of Financial Times. So she is one of the most important people at the Financial Times and one of the most important people in the financial press in the West. And she published an op-ed titled Prepare for a Multipolar Currency World. She began her article as I began this analysis pointing out that in the most recent trip between Xi and Putin in Moscow, they pledged to increase bilateral trade in local currencies and Putin called for Russia to do trade with other current countries, other regions around the world in yuan as opposed to dollars. She notes that also this comes at a time of US banking turmoil, inflation, and the looming debt ceiling battle in the US, which is making dollar-based assets less attractive. The former Goldman Sachs economist, uh, Jim O'Neill, who coined the term BRICS in the first place, Brazil, Russia, India, China, South Africa, he said, he admitted that, quote, the dollar plays far too dominant a role in global finance. So that's changing very rapidly. The Financial Times noted that even before President Xi visited Moscow, the Saudi government announced it will start invoicing some of its oil exports to China in renminbi. France did its first LNG sale in renminbi. Brazil has embraced the currency for its trade with China, all things I've talked about today. She notes that the dollar's proportion of global foreign exchange reserves and central banks around the world has shrunk from 72% in 1999 to 59% today. So it still is the most commonly used currency in central bank foreign exchange reserves, but that's changing over time. And she notes that central bank digital currencies could accelerate this diversification away from dollars, so de-dollarization, by making it easier for other countries' central banks to deal directly with each other in their own currencies. I should point out that there's been a lot of propaganda demonizing the concept of central bank digital currencies, saying that it's going to be used for mass surveillance and all this, as if that doesn't already happen. But the reality is that central bank digital currencies could be a very important tool for countries to de-dollarize. I think that's why 
a lot of right-wingers you know, in, in the U.S. who support U.S. imperialism and U.S. dollar hegemony are spreading this idea that central bank digital currencies are evil because, of course, they don't want other countries' central banks to use other currencies. They want them to stick with the U.S. dollar in order to help maintain a U.S. economic hegemony. Now, the Financial Times, to be fair, does say that the dollar is still considered by many investors to be the least ugly option in a very ugly world. So I don't want people to think that the dollar is going to collapse overnight. I'm not one of those people. The sky is not falling. I'm not telling everyone that, that their savings are going to be worthless in five years or even 10 years. But what we're seeing is not the complete collapse of the US dollar system, but rather a multipolar currency world, exactly what the Financial Times has acknowledged. That's what we're moving toward. And China doesn't plan on replacing the, the US as the global hegemon. China doesn't want to be an empire. China wants a multipolar world with true international democracy, where countries don't have to subordinate themselves and their interests to the imperial core to the United States, to Europe. Now, the Financial Times points out that part of the increase in the rise of the use of the yuan around the world reflects the rise of China as the world's largest economy, according to purchasing power parity. And the Financial Times notes that as Chinese trade has expanded in recent years, use of the renminbi has also risen. And actually now, the renminbi's use in trade invoicing exceeds the use of the euro. So more and more, the, the renminbi, the Chinese currency, is becoming more used than the European currency, the EU currency. And furthermore, we're already seeing the emergence of a $200 billion offshore renminbi market. The currency is being used in invoicing and settling China's foreign trade and payments and a global network of clearing and payments. So what that means is that just as the US dollar, although it is printed, at least digitally, by the US Central Bank, the Federal Reserve, the US dollar is a global currency and there are offshore dollar markets known as the Euro dollar system, right? Across Europe, there is a dollar market, like for instance, in the city of London and around the world, you can open bank accounts in dollars. Well, increasingly, we're also seeing the emergence of offshore renminbi markets and more and more in places like Russia and other countries, you can start opening bank accounts in renminbi, in yuan. The Financial Times refers to this as a multipolar currency world that could emerge in the coming years. And again, this is an article by the chief of the chair of the editorial board of the Financial Times. So the Western financial press is acknowledging this move toward multipolarity. Unfortunately, the political class in Washington, in Brussels, in London, they refuse to acknowledge this reality. They're in denial. And that's why they're waging a new Cold War on China and Russia and other independent countries in an attempt to strangle the, the infant of multipolarity in its crib. That's their intention. They want to prevent the emergence of this multipolar world in an attempt to maintain U.S.-led unipolar imperial hegemony. But as I talk about constantly here at Geopolitical Economy Report, that's a fool's errand because it's clearly inevitable 
we're seeing a significant decline in U.S. imperial hegemony and the increasing democratization, not only of the global political system, but even more importantly, the global economic system, with more and more alternatives to the U.S. dollar and Western economic hegemony, which provides new alternatives and it provides new opportunities and breathing space for countries around the world, in the global south in particular, who want to have new economic systems that are new alternatives to the US-led neoliberal capitalist system. So we're seeing new models, socialism with Chinese characteristics, forms of economic nationalism, developmentalism, new socialist models, new returns to Keynesianism and import substitution industrialization all across the world, especially in the global south. And that is being facilitated by the emergence of this multipolar economic and financial order. With that, I'm going to conclude. I'm Ben Norton. This is Geopolitical Economy Report. And if you want to support the work that we can do here, you can go to geopoliticaleconomy.com support. And there's a few ways you can provide support to us. Another important way would be becoming a patron over at patreon.com slash geopoliticaleconomy. We are completely independent. We have no institutional support. We rely on small donations from listeners and viewers. And by the way, if you are watching or listening, please subscribe on whatever the platform is. I'm Ben Norton. I'm editor of Geopolitical Economy Report, and I'll see you in the next episode. Thanks a lot.